Welcome to Caffeine, Crime and Canines, a podcast brought to you by two girls who love their dogs, love coffee, but most importantly, love true crime. Hello. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. What is going on? Oh, no, I feel like I've been busy this morning. Yeah. This is the first time I've sat down. Oh, really? Yeah. That's actually the worst, especially for a Sunday. I feel like Saturday is okay to be crazy running around, but Sunday I like to chill a bit, you know? I know. Just like groceries and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The normal life stuff. What are you up to? I actually feel out of breath because I just finished a workout, so I've like run into the into the room to record. So if I sound a bit out of breath, that's why. Because <laughs> um, we pushed back like um, recording for an hour, so I was like, oh, maybe I'll squeeze in a workout because it's so nice out there. So I did, um, and I'm so happy I did. So yeah, that's it good, with me. Really, I've actually I've been just lazy this so complete opposite to you. I woke up late. I've just been dawdling around. I went and got a coffee. Came home, made breakfast, and that is it. So bad. <laughs> I um spent this week um cleaning out like my fridge and freezer and my pantry and reorganizing everything. Wow, so... yeah, you're, and it's all your things are so organized as it is. So I don't even know what you would have been reorganizing. <laughs> honestly. Like old, like, old, like old expired stuff, and the fridge, like, and freezer needed a good clean out. And then, so when I did my groceries this morning, I was like determined to, like, you know, like wash all my produce because I get so lazy with that. Like, I washed it all, put it in containers, you know, yeah. like, made some like snacks for the week, made a loaf of bread. Like, I just oh, feel wow. like first time I sat down. You're okay. actually killing it. That, did you make your own bread? Yeah, I'm trying to make my own bread every week. Wow, lucky! I'm so impressed. <laughs> you have to bring me some. You have to bring me a piece of bread when I see you next week. <laughs> I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's it. What else? So, how's your week been? Just busy. Busy, yeah. Busy, busy. Yeah. And sorting out like Elsie's having surgery on f- this coming Friday, so oh. I've just been trying to sort that out and get everything booked in. So. The poor little thing. Is she is it just day surgery? Like, will she be out for the night, or she has to stay in? No, day surgery. So she'll. Oh, be that's okay. Home that night, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's in her own bed. But then, like, I think she has to obviously fast the night before oh. and the morning of, like, until she has her surgery. And like, she is an absolute menace until she has her <sighs> bottle in the morning. Like, she screams until she has it. Really? So I don't know how the morning's going to go. It's going to be oh. a nightmare, but we'll And do you know what the hardest thing is? Because she's so little, you can't even explain to her the reason no. why you're not giving it to her. So that's, yeah, no. that's tough. Like when I heat her bottle up, she screams at the microwave until it's done. <laughs> <laughs> I love She's probably just hangry. I, I, you know what? Oh. I get it because I get hangry, so I totally get it. She definitely gets hangry. <laughs> Definitely. How funny. What else um, is so going on? So how was Barbie? Well, <laughs> I feel like oh, no. people are going to hate me because I liked it, but I didn't love it. I'm so jealous because I don't think we're going to be able to catch it at the cinemas because of Elsie's thing. So oh. I'm like pretty bummed that I'm not going to be able to see it. But that's interesting that you're, you know. And I'm at, you know me, I'm a freak. Like, I've loved Barbie my whole life. Like, even, even as an adult, like, I've got Barbie things. Like, whenever 
for years, whenever someone releases like a collection, like a mem- I've got like a Mimco Barbie bag, I've got like old Peter Alexander Barbie pajamas. Like I'm all about Barbie, and I feel like it. J- I just wish it was a little bit more fun. Like it was too. I don't know what the. I don't. I actually don't know what the word is, but like I thought when I first heard there was going to be like a Barbie movie, it was going to be like Barbie rocking the real world in like a cute outfit and maybe like she comes from Barbie world and she just like kills it in the real world and it wasn't really like that um so yeah I feel like it's a little bit more deep and it sort of crushed my like the Barbie world that's always no but I feel like everyone else loved it and I get what they what they try to do with it because if you go on TikTok everyone raves about it like they love it so and I have um, heard like people come out and they have a whole new outlook on, you know, like their childhood and their parents and like I've heard yeah. it was deep in that aspect. I just so. I just wish it was fun. Like I feel like it wasn't yeah. as fun. You know what I mean? As what I had in mind. So um yeah, it was yeah, it was good. It, like as I said, it was good. I did laugh quite a bit throughout it, but it's not sort of what I had wished if that yeah exactly so and it's funny because I've had like so many mixed reviews like some people have said like it's amazing and then people that really know me warn me before they're like it's maybe don't like lower your expectations like Danny's like Karina lower them right down so I was like (laughs) mentally prepared going in so I feel like I would have if I did not have any clue and I was just going in there I think I would have been disappointed but because I knew what I was going into I was like all right this is it's good, you know? Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You also, better, when you like, do see it, you have to tell me what you think about it because I love hearing what other people think. So, yeah. I've also heard that, like, a lot of men walk out and think it's, like, a real anti-man movie. I, d- I did feel that, and I don't want to ruin it why I think that, but I felt that that's what I probably – you know what? Like, that's probably what I didn't like about it. I didn't like that it was, like, against men – it could have been like against the real world. Like, I don't, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. That's yeah. just was my feeling towards it. And girls out there are probably like, oh my God, like, do you know what I mean? What are you talking about? But that's just how I felt watching. And I have, I've heard that, like, yeah, they feel that way, but it's it, the whole point of the movie was to put them, like, for men to put themselves into a woman's shoes about shoes. how they've had to go through their whole life, I suppose. And that's the reason, but. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know, it's and that's, it, I, I, I totally get that as well. But maybe because growing up, and honestly, everyone's had their own experiences with, do you know what I mean? Like females growing up, obviously, it's sort of like, I guess, in a man dominated world. But I just don't see, I, I feel like Barbie's more like inspiring for you, you to be who you want to be. Like growing up, do you know what I mean? You could be anything. Whereas I feel like the movie sort of, didn't live to that. I know it did. Like that's what they were aiming for. For me personally, I just didn't feel like that. I didn't feel like they gave her enough credit in the real world. That's probably my best way of explaining it because she sort of goes to the real world and I feel like she just doesn't get any credit. So, yeah. But, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. And I feel Um, like, you know what, reach out to tell me what if, like if listeners saw it and loved it, hated it, felt the same way. Like, I'm interested to see, like, other people's thoughts. But, yeah, they're just my thoughts. My friend Cass is actually seeing it this morning and she, like, film is, like, her 
thing. Like that she's a oh, drama teacher. Okay. She studied film at uni. Like she's all about it. She's going to see it this morning. So I'm really interested to see what she thinks about it as well. See, I feel like she'll like it. Yeah. I've, you know what? If anything, there are more great reviews than, and it's not, it's not even, it's a negative review. It's just not what I expected. So yep. yeah. Yeah. But yes, and hey, I need to tell you something else. Yep. I need to actually two crazy things. Well, one of them I think you'll be so interested in. So you know Real Crime Profile are covering mm. Take Care of Maya? Are they? Yeah, they just dropped an ep- I have not listened yet, but they just dropped an episode this week and I remember like how into it you were. So I thought that's something you should definitely get onto because obviously the way they just analyse things is amazing mm. and you just learn so much. So I definitely wanted to tell you about that. Yes, and I definitely will be listening. Something else, Lockie, which is this is nuts, right? So the other day, Martin, so Martin's my mum's partner, was telling me that his barber. So wait a sec, let me start from the start. <laughs> you know that there was a dead body found right near my house, and I had no idea because I don't when? watch the news. Like a week or two ago. Oh my god! Really. Yes, and it was along the train line that, like, I'm on every few days. You know, like the train line I use on the Glen Waverley line. Oh my God. Right near where I park my car. And I had no idea that this thing took place, right? But so apparently, so Martin was telling me that he's he went to the barber last week. And the barber's like, oh, did you hear about the dead body? And the guy's like, sorry, Martin's like, well, no, like, what are you talking about? And he said that he walked, right? He was just, like, walking along the train line. And he noticed, like, a big hole in the fence, obviously like to go, you know, when you like they've sort of got the train line blocked off so you can't just like run onto the train line. And he called police and told them and they're just like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. And then he walked past it again and he, he noticed it was like a bit bigger. So he called them again and again, they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it, whatever. But anyway, then like a day or two later, there's all this like activity around that area. And it's because it was, somebody had carried a dead body through that hole and dumped it like where the train tracks were. Oh, my God. And do you know what is nuts, right? It was, like, drug-related. And mm-hmm. these these criminals were just, like, the dumbest criminals, right? From my understanding, they something happened with their acquaintance that was living at their house, and it's, like, some drug house, and then they killed him. They must have used a trolley, and apparently the trolley is still sitting by the train line, right, to, like, trolley his body just, like, down the street from their house. So I think it's on the road that they're on, right? They dump the body there and they just go home and then they burn, like they they try to burn their house down. So the police go to the house because they've tried to burn their house down, but they don't know that they've killed the guy. How nuts is that? So when they find the body, they put, obviously they put it like it all together. Like how dumb yeah. are these criminals? <laughs> have you obviously, have you ever seen a dead body? Like, do you, have, have. do you ever think about, like, how you would v- respond if you were, say, like, out for a walk and you saw a dead body? I've seen, it, like, dead bodies. Like, if it's, like, a loved one, you know, like, to go, when you go to say goodbye or, like, yeah. when someone's just passed, like, I've or, like, at a funeral. So I've definitely seen quite a few dead bodies, actually. But I don't know how I'd react if I just saw one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, in my mind, I think, like, like I'd go up and obviously make see if they're alive to see if I could help or would I just run away screaming and call like triple zero I don't know I don't know so how I, I often react. think like I often think like I would be I would not like have a massive reaction like I would be like 
okay with it. Like if anyone is going to see a dead body, like I feel like I could deal with it. But then it's like, how do you actually know like how you'd respond? And that's the thing with me. Like I think that I'd be pretty calm, but that makes me nervous because imagine like you call triple zero and, you know, they release a thing there and then, you, you know, people cycle, analyze your triple zero call. They're going to be like this. Yeah. Just like, I'm just like, I mean, it's 6.52. I'm taking a walk and I've just found a dead body in a bush. Like, it's going to sound ridiculous, but it's because <laughs> we talk about dead bodies and listen to so many like 911 calls. I feel like I'd be calm under the pressure but i don't know i have no idea yeah you know what though i think if it was a stranger i'd be okay but if it was someone like do you know what i mean that i loved maybe it would be a little bit different yeah yeah but yeah but do you hopefully think- we never have to talk about that and yes we should get into it sorry i just cut you off <laughs> no that's all right let's um get into this week's case let's do it On December 30th, 2000, a crime would take place that would leave the entire country of Japan and much of the world both shocked and saddened at not only the lives lost, but at the means in which they were. Around 11.30pm, a mysterious figure made his way to the home of the Miyazawa family. The father, Mikio, was on the family computer. His wife, Yasuko, lay asleep next to their daughter, 8-year-old Nina and the youngest, six-year-old Ray, was asleep in his own bed. As the house remained quiet, with the few exceptions of the humming and creaks the cold night made against the house, all seemed normal. But, within a few minutes, a crime would take place that would be felt across all corners of the country of Japan. Okay, so today we are doing... I, I wanted to do a case that was not in America, Australia you know, UK, like we, I feel like we stick to that and obviously crime happens all over the world. So I have found a case from Japan um, that we're discussing this week and I actually came across this case on TikTok (laughs) Um, (laughs) and got really into it. Um, I'm going to assume you hadn't heard about it beforehand, Karina. No, I had not heard of this at all. Uh, Okay. And I'm dying to see what you think. So, um, and also a bit of a like pre-warning. I'm going to do my best to pronounce all the Japanese names. Um, I'm hoping my like primary school Japanese will help me here, but yeah, <laughs> I'm probably going to butcher it. No, anyway. I feel like you're smashed. I'm so happy you're doing this case and not me. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So we are discussing the Miyazawa family murders this week. Um, the Miyazawa family was made up of the dad, Mikio, mum, Yasuko. They had a son and a daughter. The daughter was named Nina and their son was named Ray. Mikio worked for a marketing firm that, that was like based in the UK, but it had like 20 offices around the world. Like it was a very, very big company and had high profile clients like Microsoft, Nissan and Zero. And he was just like a um like a he'd like help with the company's branding, I suppose you could say. Yeah. 
Yasuko was a tutor and she essentially worked for herself just tutoring other students, but she did also do a little bit of tutoring through a local school. Um, Nina was very bright and she loved sports and she played soccer and did ballet. And Ray was their youngest child. Um, he was in kindergarten and he had some learning difficulties and a bit of a speech impairment, which was, um, I guess, like consuming their life at the time. You know, like they were trying to – because he was about to start school. They just obviously wanted to make sure that he'd have, you know, the best start in life. Yeah. So the – Miyazawa's family home was located within like a housing development in Setagaya, Tokyo. And I think Setagaya is like, I, I think it's like what we would call a suburb, but at that, I don't know how, what they call them over there. But, um, this housing development had over 200 families living in it. And when, so, like, they lived there, but what was happening at the time was that the government had decided to expand a local park called the Soshagaya Park, and what they were doing is they were demolishing all of these houses in this housing development to make the park bigger. And at the time of the murders, um, there was only four houses remaining in the housing development and the rest was surrounded just by this like, empty space, making way for the park redevelopment. That's so crazy, huh? Isn't it crazy? And so the four houses, obviously, the Miyazawa family took up one of the houses and Yasuko's mum and sister and brother-in-law lived next door to them in the other house and then the other two houses were obviously occupied by other people. Um, but then, like, when I was researching this, like, trying to picture four houses in the middle of nothing – was just wild to me. I know, Ash. You know, I had to look up photos because in my head I mm. just wanted to see the layout because it's really hard, yeah, to picture it when it's just spoken about. So I'll definitely post some photos for everyone. So the Japanese government had actually approached the Miyazawa family to purchase their home so that they could demolish the remaining houses, and I think that they gave them a pretty good offer. So they decided to take up this offer and were looking for somewhere to move but they were obviously trying to move somewhere that worked with Ray and a school for him that would, you know, obviously help with his learning difficulties. They did finally find somewhere they found like uh, a vacant block where they were planning to build their home and this vacant block also allowed Yasuko's family to follow them and live next door to them there. So that was the plan. They'd taken the offer from the government and they were going to move into this new house. Um, the government also let them live there as long as they needed. So they weren't like giving them the money and then like, okay, you've got to be out by this time. They were pretty flexible in letting them live there until their new house was ready. So at the time of December 2000, the area was a ghost town with most of the activity happening in the skate park at night. So this Soshigaya Park included like playgrounds, etc. but it had a skate park where a lot of the teens would come at night and hang out. So a week before New Year's Eve, Mikio had reportedly confronted a group of loud teenagers at this skate park for making too much noise. Um, however, there was a witness to this confrontation and this witness had noticed that they weren't just teens. They were actually a group of young rebels that belonged to the Bossa Zuko motorcycle gang. 
the heck are they doing at a skate park? Yeah. I mean, it's empty. Yeah, that's true. And he wouldn't know, I suppose. He wouldn't know that they were part of that gang. But anyway, apparently confronted some people about the noise. The the other residents in the area as well had also reported that stray cats and, like, rodents and stuff had been found, like, killed and tortured and they were just kind of, like, laying around the area. And obviously, that creeped me out. Yeah, like, torturing animals is obviously, you know, a big red flag. But, um, yeah, multiple people had seen the tortured animals. And then on Christmas Day, Yusuko had mentioned to her father-in-law that a strange car had been parking in front of their house multiple times. And then obviously you think, like, this area is completely deserted. Like, why would they park right in front of their house? Yeah. And, you know, people parking in front of my house is my biggest pet peeve. Like, if I don't know. (laughs) Like, I I don't mind visitors, but, like, when random people, like, neighbours or, like, neighbours guests park in front of my house it really pisses me off do you know what's so, this I is actually my mum is the same she and do you know it gets so funny so my brother he's getting rid of his car and it's sitting at my mum's house and she, there's this like because we're in a court so you can imagine there is always someone parked outside our house right but my mum's just had enough so she's gone and put my brother's car outside our house so no one else can park out there that's how much she cannot handle it <laughs> <laughs> no, I hate it. Absolutely hate it. And like, I'm like that person. I look out the window to see who it is and what they're doing. And like, I just where they've come it. from. Yeah, yeah. So on December the 30th, the family had headed out for some shopping at around 6 p.m. that night, and they were actually seen spotted at the nearby shopping center by multiple witnesses and CCTV. Um, the family had returned home at about 7 p.m., and Yusuko had called her mother and asked her to come around spend some time with her granddaughter. So um, Yasuko's mum came over and watched some TV with Nina um, and Yasuko's mum said she was there until about 9.30pm and then she went back to her house. So handy that she was just next door. I know. I would love that. How good is that? I love it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think like, oh, live next door to like your family would (laughs) probably be kind of annoying, but like it would be handy for things like that. Definitely. Um, so we'll fast forward to the f- to the next morning. So the morning of December the 31st, Yusuko's mum, Haruko, had tried calling her daughter's house, um, but she couldn't get through. Um, and unbeknownst to her, the phone lines to the Miyazawa home had been cut, so that's why she wasn't getting through on the telephone. Um, so she just decided that she might just go and knock on the door and see what they were up to. Um, and she knocked and wasn't getting an answer, so she decided to use her key to go into the home. So at 10.40 a.m., Haruko discovered the bodies of her daughter and her family. She first found Mikio, the dad. He was laying at the bottom of the stairs. She then headed upstairs. She found the body of her daughter, Yasuko, and her granddaughter, Nina. And she didn't see, but Ray had also been killed. He was... Um, he had been strangled in his bed. Um, so the other members of the family, Mikio, Yasuko and Nina, they had been stabbed to death. And like I mentioned, um, six-year-old Ray had been strangled in his bed. So investigation of the crime scene concluded that the family had been killed at about 11.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. the night before. 
And the sick thing is that the killer had remained in their house for, they think, up to 10 hours after the murder. That creeps me out. Yeah. And and do you know what? I I saw that they originally thought that maybe the killer was actually in the house when the grandmother had entered because I think there was like some sort of like activity on the computer, but then she's that they've come out and said that maybe she accidentally knocked the mouse as she was walking by it. But how creepy is that to even think that they may have been there when you're in the house with them? Like just yeah. So creepy. So the investigators kind of concluded that the killer had entered their home through a second-story window at the rear of the house. I think this their house was three stories from memory, but they had entered the home through the second-story window. The killer first entered Ray's room, killing him with his bare hands, and then obviously Mikio had heard a disturbance, went upstairs to investigate, and he was stabbed multiple stories multiple times with a sashimi knife that the killer had brought in. Sashimi knives are really long. Like I'm pretty sure they're the knives that they use like to cut raw fish in Japan. And they're really long. During the attack, um, it's thought that Mikio had injured the killer. um, And it's also reported that part of the knife had broken off like during the attack and it was lodged inside his head and that was this kind of the stab wound that ended him, I suppose, and when he was found, that part of the knife was still in his head. My goodness. The killer then attacked Yasuko and Nina with the broken knife, but obviously that wasn't working, so he went and retrieved another knife from the family's family's kitchen and he ultimately murdered Yasuko and Nina. Yasuko was stabbed so viciously in her chest that her bones were showing. Oh, my gosh. You know what breaks my heart is that I've got a feeling that the mother and daughter would have thought maybe he was leaving, you know what I mean? Because I think there's evidence that that she may have been trying to, like, attend to Nina's wounds or something, but he's obviously just gone to get another knife. Yeah, and I think they were in the bathroom together. I don't understand. Very sad. Um, So after the murders, as I mentioned, the killer remained in the house for, they say, up to 10 hours. um, And he had reportedly used the family's computer, but he'd only browsed Mikio's company and Yasuko's school. And they think that he only browsed websites that the family had bookmarked, like he was just kind of looking around the computer. He also tried to use the computer to buy tickets to a show in Tokyo. With, like, one of their bank cards, but he didn't put the purchase through. Can I tell um, you, though, what what did he think? Like, if it did go through, wouldn't the police just rock up to the show that night and, like, go to the seats that were purchased? Like, that's so weird. And, like, wouldn't he think, like, what made them think that they were going to get away with it that they could go to a show? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and do you know what else? I wonder if they actually checked out everyone that attended that show because if he was thinking about going to that show, maybe he did end up going, but he just didn't use their card to buy the tickets. Yeah, exactly. Um, he also reportedly drank four bottles of barley tea. He ate some melon and he ate four ice creams because he'd left <laughs> the wrappers wrappers all over the house. Um, and he'd also used the toilet and he didn't flush, so he left feces in the toilet. And it's reported that it was the toilet where Yasuko and Nina were dead 
in. That's actually, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. It reminds me of, um, what's his name, Gude from the Amanda yeah. Knox case. What's with all these people not flushing? I know. And that's what I was thinking. You know what? Don't laugh, right? But I was like, because when I think about like a feces in a toilet, I was like, was there toilet paper? Like, I don't know why my mind goes there, right? But apparently after like he's done this, he threw other things in the toilet with his poo. So it wasn't just his poo <laughs> lying in there. It was like bank cards and like weird documents. Like it was just random other stuff in the toilet. So <laughs> weird, like weird behavior. Um, he also tried to treat his injuries with the family's first aid kit and sanitary pads. So I think he oh. tried to yeah, – I think he cut his something, cut something and was trying to um, <laughs> fix it because I know because there was bloodied like bandages and pads and stuff found. Yeah, I don't know what he was doing. What um, the heck? And it's also reported that he took a nap on the sofa and they determined this because it was disturbed, like it was – I don't know. Mm. Drawers and papers were ransacked throughout the house. Some money was taken. I think he took a check that was made out to Yasuko for her tutoring, but he didn't take all the money that was available in the house. Like apparently there was more and he left, you know, obviously kind of high priced items. Like it's not like he took everything he could. He took a little bit of money and, and I think a jacket, like that's all he stole. You know, there was money, I think, that was actually left out in the house that he didn't touch. So that's really yeah. bizarre that he's taken some, but then he hasn't taken money that's just openly available to him. And sorry, can I just say something else that I found really weird? Apparently, he took a drawer, right, from like, I don't know if it was downstairs. He took it like upstairs and emptied it in the bathtub. Mm. So it, it seems to me like he's looking for something because why yeah. else would you be emptying drawers in bathtubs? Like it's weird. Yeah. He also left some stuff behind. He left the knife, uh, a scarf that he was wearing, a bum bag, a sweater, a hat, his gloves, shoe, some shoes, and two handkerchiefs. So, so did I was, he leave naked? What he was wearing. Yeah. Yes. Because he did take one of Mikio's jackets. So he obviously wore that out of the house. But, but you know what else? I've feel like it would be quite hard to determine exactly what clothing he would have taken because not even anyone in my family would know all my stuff that I've got in my cupboard. Yeah. So. Unless DNA, I'm not sure how they. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So a footprint was also left at the scene and was determined to be a size 11 Slazinger running shoe and like. These shoes is like such a 90s throwback, hey? Oh, so much so. <laughs> this lesson does still exist. I don't even know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it'd be in like sports mart or something, you know? I don't yeah. think they've got a store. <laughs> so after some investigation, it was found that this particular size of this particular shoe was only sold in South Korea. Mm. Um. The police also determined that the clothes that were left behind were washed in hard water, which had a lot of chemicals in them. And this also kind of made them realize that the clothes that this killer had worn were not washed in Japan because Japan had a soft water system, meaning they didn't have a lot of chemicals in their water. Um, And an important thing to note is that South Korea had a hard water system. So I think they're kind of at this point thinking that this person was South Korean. You know, they have gone hardcore into clues. Like, if you think about it, like, oh, yeah. checking 
the the way the clothes were washed. Like, yeah, yeah. So with the massive amount of evidence left behind at the crime scene, the police were able to gain specific clues about the identity of the killer. They also analysed the faeces left in the toilet and concluded that the killer had eaten green beans with sesame dressing (laughs) before. (laughs) And they knew this was the killer because they analysed what the Miyazawa family had eaten that day and it was different. So they knew that that was him that had left that in the toilet. Hey, and do you know, is it, was it one of the things they were calling him like a mummy's boy? Because this is like, they assume that like, it was like a home cooked meal cooked or something. Meal. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like very Japanese, the green beans and sesame dressing. You know, like. Bought that out. Yeah. Surely. Um, the police also determined that the knife used in the murders and most of the clothes left behind were purchased in Kangagawa Prefecture. I think prefecture is like a county or like a state. I'm not sure how Japan works, but they'd kind of um, pinned it down to one area where all this stuff was bought. Something I found nuts is, you know, that the sweatshirt he was wearing or that he left at the scene, apparently there were only 10 of this particular, mm. like, sweater that was sold in Tokyo. Crazy. Ten. And, yeah. like, the police made an appeal to the public and, like, saying, like, please come forward if you own this sweatshirt. So, that th- yeah, it's just, I don't know, like, they've gone to so much effort to track down so many leads, but I feel like this is a really good lead, but obviously it led them nowhere. Yeah. And then... A spanner in the works. They also tested some sand found in the bottom of the bum bag that he left behind. And this sand was determined to have come from the Nevada desert in the United States. And more specifically, the sand was from the Edwards Air Force Base in the United States. Mm. You know the so only they... thing? Go. You go, sorry. No, this is because this is silly what I'm going to tell you. So you, you be serious <laughs> first. <laughs> I think at this point they're thinking that, you know, this person maybe travelled to America or whatever. But, I mean, like, maybe it was left over from manufacturing. Like, I don't know. That's what I was going to say. Okay, how much sand was this? Because in the 90s, I swear, when people would travel, I don't know why this was a thing, but don't you think people would bring back, like, those little glass tubes with, like, you know that cork lid of sand? Yeah, my grandpa has heaps of sand. (laughs) Yes, like, like. Nowadays, Lockie, if I bought you a little cup of sand from when no one ever says, you'd be like, what the heck? But in the 90s, that was like a thing to do. So how do we know that this guy did it like someone just didn't give him, I don't know, a little thing with sand in it and he was carrying it around in his bum bag or something, you know? Exactly. Um, Police also had the killer's DNA and fingerprints throughout the house, but nothing ever matched anyone in the database, um, meaning like this person didn't have a criminal record and I think they even um, sent the prints to South Korea to be run and no, no match there either. They, they actually tried it against 5 million fingerprints. Mm. Mm. And no match. Nope. So the suspect was determined to be around 170 centimetres tall and of thin build. They estimate they were between 15 and 35 years old and they were likely right-handed. 
Um, the killer's blood was also analyzed because obviously he injured himself and there was blood left at the scene um, and revealed that they had blood type A and this did not match anyone in the Miyazawa family, sorry. Um, and then obviously I think type A is, is male. I think that's how they determined it was male. Um, and then they also analyzed the blood even further and they were able to find like his racial profile. And they found that he was possibly mixed race, that his maternal DNA indicated a mother of Southern European descent, and the paternal DNA indicated a father of East Asian descent, which is Japan, Japan, China, and Korea, but Mm. it was most likely Korean. So they think he's, yeah, mixed race, which is weird. Because I think back in that time, like, it wasn't very common for you know people in the east asia area to marry outside of their own their own race yeah mm. um so roughly 6 hours after the bodies were discovered police were able to obtain information from a local hospital that a man in his 30s had presented with a wound on his hand which was pretty severe um and they were surprised at how kind of nonchalant he was about this massive wound. Um, but unfortunately, there were no details on him. Yeah, because they didn't know, obviously, about the murder, so that they didn't question, which I still think is a little bit strange that you don't have any info on someone you've treated unless he's given, like, a completely phony, you know what I mean, name. like name, like address, I don't know, phone number, but, Yeah. So despite the multitude of evidence, police could not and have not determined the identity of the killer. The case is still open in Japan to this day. Um, and I think it's like the country's longest running like cold case. Um, so that's kind of all the information of the case. But I wanted to get into a few different theories and obviously discuss with you, Karina, because I'm dying to know what you think. Yeah. So the first theory is that it was teens from the skate park that were angry for being told off. Um, and I've also seen a few posts on Reddit that a lot of people think that it may be a teenager because of a few things for ice creams being eaten. Like they yeah. think that's something a teenager would do. Um, the bum bag was kind of set to fit a very small waist. Um, and they think like you'd have to be pretty young and agile to get in and out of the second story window. So that's one theory. But the motive, Another- can I just tell you, with the with the teenagers, like yeah. that's very hardcore yeah. to kill a whole family for being told off for being noisy. Unless and then it was what, the gang. And, what, and then just never doing anything like that again. Like mm. being confident enough that your DNA is not going to be in the system. Like if you're young, it makes sense. But even to this day... I don't know. I just, I don't see it. So another theory is that Nina was actually the target, um, that there was reportedly a man watching Nina at ballet and piano lessons. Um, and a lot of people think that this man entered the house looking for Nina, but was confronted with other members of the family and his plan kind of didn't work out. And I think Nina was actually the last to be killed as well. So mm. that's kind of one theory. Um, another is that obviously it was just like a robbery 
kind of gone wrong. Um, although like some money was stolen from the home, not everything was stolen. So it's hard to believe that it was completely motivated by robbery. And that wouldn't make sense because, like you said, not everything was stolen. And I feel like you wouldn't have to kill a whole family to rob them. Yeah. Um, another is it was a disgruntled co-worker of Mikio's. I don't really know how that is a theory, but it's just something I read online. But you know um, something that goes against that is, which is my biggest point for this whole case, is that this person was not afraid of being connected to the murders. Like they yes. left so much evidence at the scene. It's like they did not give a shit. And not only that, they knew that no one's even going to look into them or they're not going to be asked for like their DNA, for their fingerprints. They just didn't care. Yeah. And I think if yeah, you're a so, co-worker or if you had some sort of relation to the family, that would be playing on your mind. Yeah. Another is it was one of the high-profile clients for Mikio. Like, you know, obviously he worked for those large companies. don't really know why they would want to kill him. He's like, in it's marketing. Not like he would have inf- yeah, it's not like he would have classified information. Yeah, I don't nah. think. So I don't really get that. And, and then – one other theory that's pretty strong out there is that it was the son of U.S. military personnel. Apparently there was a U.S. Air Force base that was 40 minutes from the Maizawa home um, and obviously the sand from the bum bag indicated it was another Air Force base in the U.S. And then I, I read another theory that it's like, okay, so say it was a teenage son, you know, the family had had to move from America to Japan for the – for the job of the you know mum or dad that worked in the air force he didn't want to be there he was annoyed and he just you know a bit disturbed and did this so something that sways a lot of people to this particular theory is the walking style of the killer because apparently the footsteps were like small steps and it was like their back was against the wall and unless you're exposed to that sort of way of walking why the heck would you be walking like that like that's a random way to walk yeah yeah interesting um Mm. yeah i mean what what's your what do you think (sighs) honestly i'm not a hundred percent on anything as in not i'm not sold to one particular theory but I just, I can say, let me say what I don't think. I don't think it could be a teen from the skate park. Nah. I don't know what. I just don't. It it feels more, you know what? It feels like the house was in so much disarray on purpose. Like there's like, they've just put in so much evidence to completely confuse the police, which makes me think it's more someone who's thought of it. Like the phone lines were cut. Yeah. Like someone's gone in there with a plan. So they that family is the target, but I just don't know the reasoning behind it. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like like you said it's been planned out with the the phone lines being cut, but I also think like I don't think this person really thought everything through. Like I feel like like they left all that stuff there. Yeah, maybe some of it on purpose, but I also think they just weren't thinking. And that's but, why I lead towards a teenager. Mm, Maybe I, not from I the skate park. 
Like maybe they were part of that gang and they were the son of someone in the military and they were bored and they were told to do some initiation or something and that's what this was. Like, I don't know. You know, the outfit that the killer was wearing does sort of represent a kid from the skate park. Like if you look at what the kids wore back then and the items that were left at the scene, it does seem very like young. Yeah. But I just think it would be so hard unless they have like a powerful parent for them to be able to get away with it for so long on top of it. And sorry, you know something else as well, which crossed my mind, could it be more than one person? And like one person was like, quite organized and the other one was just like "Eh." but I just can't put my finger on the motive that's probably I feel like if you figure out the motive then you could figure out the suspects but at this stage like if you had something really against the father why the heck are you killing the whole family and why are the two females overkill makes me think that like you said that Nina was the target it's just something about it that makes me think she was the target because why overkill the females? Yeah, yeah. And I think um, Ray and Nina shared a bedroom. So if they'd entered and gone and seen Ray first, maybe because they thought they were going into Nina's bedroom and then they've realised that they share a bedroom and he's in there. Yeah. And not only that, exactly, maybe like – but why, I guess – the killer's like, all right, I'll kill Ray and then I'll just lie in wait for Nina. And then obviously yeah. something's gone wrong. And so I can see that happening. I don't know why. I just feel like it's, it's Nina is the target. That's yeah. just my gut feel. Mm, yeah, you know okay. something, though, at the moment, like even to this day apparently, there are still like posters all over and these posters are so creepy lucky i don't know if you've seen them it's like the family sitting at it's like i think it's like a drawing sort of right and it's like a family sitting at the table and then it's got the killer standing behind them in like what he was wearing that night like asking for information it's just so weird it's such a weird poster to have out there i'm gonna have a look at it yeah look it up it's really really creepy i can send it to you as well and again i'll post it on our insta do you find it? Yeah. It's weird, right? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It is. I don't know, it gives me chills. Like, it's just, I don't know. It's just such a weird, like, why not just have the killer? Why have you put the whole family in there? It's, yeah, weird. Weird mm. stuff. Um. So, yeah, that's the case of the Maizawa family murders. Um, if you have a case you want us to cover, send us a message on Instagram. Our Instagram handle is at Caffeine Crime and Canines. And next week we are getting back to requests. So Ooh, yeah. keep those requests coming. And, I'm yeah, we're sorry we haven't gotten to requests, but next week we are doing a request. So I look awesome. forward to covering that. Yeah. So until next week. Until next week. Bye. Bye.